Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegri. Hey, Vivica. Hi, Susan. I hope you're doing well. I am. I am. I'm enjoying fall here. We've had some beautiful weather. The color is really great this year, so we're enjoying it. our first real fall in our new house with big windows, and it's a little bit distracting, to be truthful. I know what you mean about the distracting. I keep looking out the window because my desk for work is situated right in front of a big picture window and I have the gorgeous fall colors, which I know are my colors. I know your colors are more in the blues and those, you know, cooler colors and my colors are all the oranges and golds and deep greens. So either way, we compliment each other, Susan. Yes, we do. Did you have a good birthday? I sure did. And I have a little story about my birthday that has to do with the podcast. Oh, what? So um, you know how in our last podcast, we were talking about birthday cakes and how much we enjoyed the birthday cakes that our moms made for us? Well, uh, it probably wasn't our last one. It was probably two ago. But anyway, um, my daughter actually listened to our podcast, which is the biggest gift anyone has ever given me, (laughs) that my 25-year-old daughter listened. And she heard me say my favorite birthday cake was a uh, carrot cake, and she'd totally forgotten about this. And she arranged, she's living in California, and she arranged for my husband to go pick up a wonderful carrot cake for my birthday. And it was just the nicest gift. And just kids, if there are any kids out there listening who I'm sure there aren't, but do something lovely for your mom that she doesn't expect. It was just, it was the sweetest thing ever. Such a nice thing when your kids get to an age where they start to act like adults (laughs) and think, you know, think as a considerate human being, which it takes a while to grow into that through the teenage years, usually. Well, it takes everybody a while to to just sort of grow into that. And I have to say, I have wonderful, wonderful children. They love one another. They love me. They love my husband, which is great. But it was the most heartwarming thing ever. How about you? How was your birthday? It was good. We were actually at the beach. So we we have a timeshare and we were there and it was great. It was beautiful weather. It was very serene. I walked a lot every day. We tried to eat well. We tried to chill out through all of the election coverage. <laughs> and I love going to the beach in the fall because there aren't very many people there. And we go to an island off the coast of North Carolina. And it's fascinating to be in an environment like that at different times of the year. So Mm -hmm. we go one week each season and work, you know, from there. And it's, it's wonderful to see how different the ocean, the beach, the maritime forest all are at different times of the year. You notice different things. I loved seeing your photos. You were very good at taking photos. We, My husband and I went to Provincetown, which is on the Cape in Massachusetts for the weekend before my birthday, sort of as my gift. And it was the same kind of thing that it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful off season because I'm not a person who enjoys crowds at all. And P-Town is very much a crowded place. And we just enjoyed the ocean and enjoyed walking. And there's like a national forest there. And we walked for miles and miles, like 10 Mm -hmm. um, a day that we were there and just really, really enjoyed the peace, the quiet, the landscape and the seascape. 
there. And yeah. I have lots of ideas for quilts from it, but I don't have any photos. I took not a one. Really? Yes. See that taking the photos is what helps me see things. It truly does. Isn't that interesting? It forces me to look at the little details, to think about things like line and shape and color and form and texture. So it's almost like a second eye or third eye, I guess I should say, to help me process my environment. So I think that's why I take so many photos because of that. Sometimes I don't take photos because I don't want to remember in photos. Like when I got married, Mm. I didn't want a video. I was adamant that I didn't want a video. Someone brought a video camera to our wedding, which was actually one of the most lovely gifts ever, because now I can look back and see my parents dancing and Mm. my grandparents and things like that, which I wouldn't have ever. But sometimes I want to just remember. And I find it really sort of funny because most of the time I am clicking. I have my phone out constantly clicking photos. So, you know, it's sort of funny because we are going to be talking about how we use those photos in our artwork pretty soon. But before we get to our artist in residence, I was wondering if you'd had any more time to think about your goals for 2021, or I should say for the next year of your life. Because that was the topic that we had talked about last time. And I've come to my word of the year. And I'm just sort of wondering if you've come to your goals. Well, before I kind of poo-pooed the idea of this word of the year, because it seems like something that's imposed on me. (laughs) But I'm going to do it this year. I'll do it and see. I guess it's, I'm thinking of it more as as a hope, my hope for the year. And so I picked the word heal. Oh, that's beautiful. On lots of different levels. Personally, I've had some health issues and I'm hoping to kind of heal some of those things. I think I want to try to heal some relationships if I can, because I've had some difficulties with some people, I think, because of our political climate. (laughs) I want to try to kind of find my center spiritually so that I can have more peace in my life. I've dealt with a lot of anxiety in the past year. So I want to try to center myself a little bit. That's very interesting. It's also the root for health too. So healing and health are so intertwined. Well, I'm glad that you chose that word. And I I certainly um, have very good wishes for you for that word too, because those are- Oh, thank you. They're very important goals. And my word is actually so similar. It's bridge. And I was thinking about maybe focusing artwork on that word over the next 12 months. And I was thinking about 12 different ways that I can do it. And then I started going crazy in my head because, you know, bridge, what's my favorite physical bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge? What is a card game I've never played, bridge? (laughs) I have to stop you. You know that my grandfather helped build the Golden Gate Bridge, right? I've told you that. I had no idea. No. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My grandparents were from Western Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh area, but they moved out there in the 20s, I think around 1925. And my grandfather, this is my maternal grandfather, was an engineer and he was working for a steel company, Bethlehem Steel, that put a lot of the steel into the Golden Gate Bridge and also the framework for the city hall building in Los Angeles. And he worked on both of those structures. Then he died at age 38 out there. Oh, Susan. Uh, Malignant hypertension. Oh my goodness. Which is a kind of high blood pressure that can kill you. And he, it did. Wow. I can tell you a lot more about that later, but I have a link to the Golden Gate Bridge too. 
Wow. Wow. We are so connected that we don't even know how connected we are. Well, (laughs) today we're actually talking about bridging as far as our podcast is concerned, and that was totally serendipity as well. We're talking about bridging the digital divide in our artwork. And I am so excited that after our short break, we're going to be bringing in Susie Monday, who is just a fabulous artist that has done just that. She's bridged the divide between digital artwork and actual surface design with the way that we normally think about it. So let's take a very short break and come back with Susie Monday and talk about these things a little bit more in depth. Susie Monday is a well-known fiber artist and teacher from Pipe Creek, Texas. Her large Textile collage art quilts evoke the culture and stories and landscapes of the Texas borderlands, as well as her inner creative life. Working in mixed media on fabric, Susie dyes, screen prints, and digitally designs much of the fabric she uses. She came to the world of quilting through surface design and uses 21st century technology masterfully as a bridge between painting, photography, and fabric. Susie's background includes working in journalism as a children's museum designer and in curriculum development. She's been a professional artist for 22 years, and she teaches in person as well as online. So welcome, Susie. We're so excited you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm happy to be here to talk about my favorite topic. Well, one reason we're so excited to have you is that as a birthday present to ourselves, Susan and I gave ourselves your iPad class. So (laughs) I noticed we've actually been really enjoying seeing your videos that you put out on this class, but we haven't talked to you personally about all of the wonderful content that we're learning about. So we're just thrilled to have you with us. And I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about what you do in your studio as we're just getting into our conversation here. Well, I work these days mostly with my digitally designed fabrics because some of it's health-related. I've got arthritis and getting big, heavy dye buckets out and doing screen printing all day and standing at my print table just got to be a little more difficult in the last four or five years. So when I realized that, you know, I'd been buying iPads because I've just been a techno gadget gearhead for a long time. Some of the work I did with kids, we were doing technology and desktop publishing before desktop publishing was a thing. So I'm really interested in how art and technology intersect, and I have been for a long time. So I said, you know, I've got this expensive tablet, and there's bound to be ways to make art with it and to use it for art making. About that time, I discovered one of the print-on-demand companies, Spoonflower. I think they started working in 2008 on a commercial kind of level. And that was like, boy, the light bulb came on. It was like, oh, man, the time is here, and I can jump on this. So I think I did, and I think I was not the only person jumping on digital technology at the time but in the textiles and art quilt world, but I was pretty early. Yeah, you know, the International Quilt Festival in Houston has an actual segment of quilts, 
and they give prizes for it for digitally designed quilts or digitally printed quilts or heavily digital quilts, you know. And the first time that I actually had seen that display, I think was around 2008 or 2009. Maybe it was even a little bit after that, could have been 2011, but it was just such an eye opening thing for me because I always felt that. When I went to Houston, so it was probably 2011, come to think of it, that was the first time I went. And I thought, when I go to Houston, I'm just going to see so much traditional quilting. And I was blown away by the fact that there were actually segments of quilters who did things that were so technologically advanced, even 10 years ago almost. So I think it's something that's been around for a while, but we as quilters don't always know that it's there or to the extent that it's there. Susan, had you ever worked with technology this way before taking Susie's class or starting with it? You know, it's interesting because I just got out a piece that I started. I'd have to go back and figure out. I took a beautiful photo, manipulated it a little bit in Photoshop, mostly just changing the exposure, boosting some of the colors, playing with some things in a very limited way. And had it printed on Spoonflower right after I heard about Spoonflower because I was curious. So it was probably when Spoonflower was pretty young. And by the way, Spoonflower is like 10 minutes from my house. (laughs) (laughs) It's in this area. So it's really close. I'd love to go over and do a walkthrough there. But anyway, I, I had this printed on Spoonflower. I liked how it looked. I layered it with interfacing and I started doing thread sketching on top of it. Just thread work through the interfacing. What I'm doing is really intricate lacy. It's hydrangeas after they start to decay and they get all that cool, beautiful texture. And I didn't finish it. And there's a reason why I didn't finish it. And I've got to figure that out. Maybe it's, I felt like I was just tracing around the things that were already there. I think it needs more layers. I think it needs more complexity. I don't know, but I was interested in it, but I kind of abandoned it after that and went back to my traditional techniques that were already working for me. Right. And the kind of stuff that I'd done before is is photo transfer. I'd done photo printing in my own home machine, but I hadn't really explored the extent to what you can do digitally to not only your photos, but to drawings. And that's why I was so fascinated when I started seeing Susie's work a few years ago and knowing just the extent of the technology that she uses to actually do basically surface design without getting your hands dirty. I know. It's sort of cheating, isn't it? I don't know. So so this, that's a great word because we talked a little bit about cheating or you talk a little bit about cheating in the class. And I think people do sort of think of it as cheating. And I don't because you know what? If that's cheating, then a rotary cutter is cheating. If that's cheating, then a sewing machine is cheating. And if that's cheating, then all I do is cheat. Exactly. You know, (laughs) I'm going to use the tool that gives me the result that I want. Uh, Me too. And obviously, you know, fusing is cheating. And (laughs) there are people who are going to always be purists and want to do every hand stitch on their own. And I'm in great admiration. But at the same time, I want to tell a lot of other people who are saying, well, I'm using my sewing machine. It's like, it's not that big a difference. Essentially, if you're designing on your iPad, if one thing you can design the whole quilt, but you can also just design the fabrics. And then basically you are using your own commercial fabric. You, you have basically become the fabric designer that allows you to take that and, and use it in even a very traditional quilt. So I tell people, you know, look, look, you know, why not use a, 
unique, personal, meaningful kind of color palette and design. And you can do that starting with an iPad. And I think the first iPad came out in 2010. So that's really when I started looking at the potential of that as a tool, because here is suddenly a tablet that you can draw on just like you can draw on a piece of paper. So do you use it mostly for drawing or do you use it mostly to alter a photograph or do you use it mostly as a different kind of tool? Tell me, how do you personally use it? I use it a lot of ways from fabric design, I'd say principally, and some of it is based on photographs. Some of it is based on drawings and paintings made from photographs. And some of it is made from collage because you can really take elements of either your photos or other art or lines and images and combine them all into one image and use those as kind of the starting point. And then I also use it as a composition tool. So when I'm working on a piece, I don't particularly use a design wall that much. I'm usually working flat. It's just from the habit. I think I came up through graphic arts and painting and it's like it was always flat in front of me. So I, you know, will stand on a ladder and take a picture of the whole piece <laughs> that's down there. And then that photograph I will take into my iPad and I'll cut pieces out and I'll move things around. And this is, of course, before it's all glued together or stitched. But, you know, I can check the value. I can try out different kind of where I want to quilt things because I can draw on top of it mm -hmm. and try out a quilting design. So there's this whole kind of compositional design level of use, even if you're not even going to design your own fabric. You know, you can use that with whatever kind of quilt making you're doing. That's really one of the things that I'm starting to see by taking your course as a major advantage is that you can use it as a planning tool and as a tool to go in different directions without committing until you see what all the possibilities are, mm -hmm. which is something that I think I will benefit from greatly because I think my art will get better because I tend to make up my mind really quickly about things. So if I can force myself to look at a lot of different options, I think it might bring some complexity into my work that I'm really wanting. You were talking about going to Houston, Vivica, earlier, and one of the quilts that really changed the way I thought about digitally designed art quilts was Diane Rusendoran's piece, Return of the Oh, one of my absolute favorite digital quilts. Yeah, that was 2010. And I saw it in Houston. And I gasped when I saw it. And I think it's a great example of the layered imagery that you can get and also how she tweaked the colors. It's a grackle on a background that has all these branches and it's very haunting, very mysterious. And um, I think she boosted the color. She added texture and with these layers. And I was blown away by that piece. It was fabulous. And she actually showed that on Quilting Arts TV. And I believe she even has a workshop video with us that I'll put a link in our show notes about, but she has a workshop on how she created that too. That was before I was host. So that must have been one of the episodes with Pokey before I... Yeah, I think it was like series 1300 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So probably like 2011. But it's fascinating the things you can do with it and fascinating that it's like every artist, no matter what, has their own style. And I can learn from Susie how she's doing all of these things on the iPad. But when she gives me an assignment, believe it or not, I'm sure you do believe it, the artwork does not look like Susie's <laughs> at the end of it or, you know, like so far, okay. 
okay, I'm going to, I'm going to actually have to come clean here. I'm a week behind and we've only been doing this for two weeks. So I'm totally a week behind in my, in my course assignments, but that's because I'm really trying to take it seriously and learn from it. But I'm almost overwhelmed by the possibilities. I'm overwhelmed. There are so many possibilities out there. So Susie, how do you, when you know that you have so many things at your fingertips, how do you figure out what you're going to use? I think that's the really crux of the matter with using digital tools, especially, I mean, there are a million or more iPad apps now. A million. In the, a million, a million. Now those aren't all art apps. That's everything, but I'm sure there's a hundred thousand art apps. And some of them are really terrible because they're designed by 12 year old young men in China and <laughs> they get interested in girls. And, and then they forget to update them or whatever. Sure. <laughs> yes. But the thing is, is that I tell people and it's hard to get it across, but it's like, okay, look at what you're really doing already. And what is a digital tool that will help you just do that more or do it faster or add a level of complexity or a layering that otherwise you can't get because, you know, most commercial fabrics are not really layered imagery. Now you can get into that with your own surface design, but as we just talked about, you know, surface design can be time consuming, messy, you know, you can't undo it once you've done it. And, and it's got its own beauty and magic. And I would never give up surface design. I often add surface design on top of my digitally designed fabrics, which adds yet another layer. So my early mentorship was from Jane Dunnewald. So I am in the complex cloth world of fabric design. I've always kind of strived for that multi-dimensional layering effect. And basically digital is made for layers. So part of it is saying, what do you already do what are you trying to go and do better or in a faster way or in a kind of more exaggerated sort of fashion that would be very hard to do without a digital tool? And I think it's really showing up in the quilt shows these days. I realized looking at the latest version of Quilt National, it's remarkable to think about how many pieces in that exhibit have got some kind of digital tool been, been used for them. It's interesting, too, how these digitally enhanced fabrics are coming out. Like if you look at Leslie Riley's mm -hmm. new line, mm -hmm. which is where she started with cyanotypes of leaves and natural materials, then she digitally enhanced them, and now they're being produced as commercially available fabrics. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you can start to get that look, even if you're an art quilter who uses commercial fabrics. Right. But what you can't get is your own imagery, your own... Icons. <laughs> right. And also the way that you do it and what you want to do, whether you want to change the colors or the textures or the layering. So being able to do it yourself, to me, makes it even more original. I think a lot of people started with digital printing of photos and they would take a snapshot and put it in their inkjet printer or print it off or even send it to Spoonflower and print it. And we're disappointed because just taking a regular photo that you have, if it's not a fabulous photo, and most of us don't have fabulous photos all the time. And if you print it and then put it down into uh you have that printed, it, it was kind of disappointing because the saturation wasn't that great. The resolution wasn't that great. If it's just sort of a straight photo printed on fabric, it can be a little disappointing. And part of that is because our eyes are so used to looking at photographic images on a screen or on a glossy magazine 
or glossy photo paper. So you're not going to get that. And these apps or Photoshop or the digital tools that, you know, I've been exploring now for 10, 12 years, that they give you ways that it makes that photograph more interesting because you're either posterizing it a bit. So you're reducing the number of values, you're adding lines around it, or you're doing really dramatic kind of digital special effects on it. But I think that's why this is kind of the second wave of use of digital, because when people started printing photos with their inkjet printer, you saw a lot of photo print quilts that, frankly, after a while, were not that interesting. I have to agree. They're not generally the most interesting things. And even if you do a beautiful photo that you've printed and enlarged, and you've printed it at 42 inches, and it was meant to be printed at 42 inches or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're just quilting on top of it, I think you're losing an opportunity. So what I've really been trying to explore with all of these different tools that are out there, which would include the iPad and, and all of the apps, et cetera, that are on the iPad is that all of these are just tools to get you where you want to go. And if you have that vision of where you want to go from the very beginning, and you think about all of the different ways you can get there, that you could map yourself to get there, it's totally fascinating. So last night I didn't have my iPad in bed. I had my phone in bed and I was, I have my iPad folder on my phone of the images that I'm going to use to play with. And I was just going through my images. I was duplicating the image. And then I was going through just all of the different ways that I could play with it just with the apps on my phone or the editing process that you have within your photo program to begin with. And mine happens to be an iPhone, so it's iPhoto. So I was going through all of this. And my husband's like, what are you doing? It's past midnight. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just doing my homework, I'm doing my homework for my class. <laughs> All right, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, a, a real difference, I think, in in what we're seeing in the art quilts that are made using photography is that most people aren't just taking a snapshot or a photo and putting it on a piece of fabric. First of all, they're thinking about the substrate that they use. They're thinking about, should I be doing this on silk? Should I have a different kind of ink that I'm using? So they're thinking about the actual way that they're coloring their fabric. They're thinking about, do I need to boost these colors because they're going to be dulled down when they go on the gray product? They think of a whole lot of different things. And thankfully, they have teachers who've tried a whole lot of different things. I mean, how many students have you taught at this point? I was just thinking about that, but it's got to be, I've been teaching my art on the iPad class now for five years and usually at least two sessions for 40 or 50 people. So, you know, somewhere around a thousand probably by the time I added them all up. That's incredible. And a lot of people I think have taken the class and go, well, it's not for me. There's, you know, there's, there's that group or the ones that never finish, but it's okay too. Or the ones like me that are going to have to do the remedial class. They're going to have to do it again. <laughs> Just keep they're... coming back, coming back. Yeah. I think somebody the other day was posting a discussion post on my collage on the iPad, which is the second class, the intermediate class I teach. And she said, well, this is my sixth time to take one of your classes. And I was like, oh, okay. That's good. Glad you're still involved. It seems to me that without the basic design skills, Mm. you still can't really create something great 
This is just another tool. And I wonder how many people get on those apps and are like, oh, I can just do this, this, and this, and now I'm an artiste. Yes. And I don't, I'm not saying that in a condescending way, no. I, but I think that you still have to be able to know when you look at something what's right or what's wrong about it and why. Exactly. So that's an important thing I think to point out to people is you can't just play with the apps and create great art. Right. And one thing, I try to do kind of compositional coaching in the discussion posts that people start mm. to say, this is strong in this, this, you know, you could improve it this way. It's like, I can't with 30 or 40 people daily posting three or four images, I'm not going to be able to critique everything. But I think it's important to keep saying, you know, you need to be using these tools to develop your eye. Actually, the new class that I'm teaching called Text on Textiles is a hybrid class that has both real surface design and digital tools and composition kind of lessons in there. And, you know, when I started the art in the iPad class, I just was throwing out the apps. And I think that as I develop some of this teaching, I'm going to have to start adding more of sort of the train your eye, compose. <laughs> One thing I have found both in teaching and as a student in some of these online classes is that if you throw it out there as a critique kind of session, you get great feedback from the fellow students. So yes. as long as you set the ground rules so that nobody's mean. <laughs> right. Yes. You can get a lot of good information from fellow students or at least ideas. Like let's brainstorm what could, you know, Jane do to make this piece stronger. Yes. So yes. I always loved that when I got that kind of feedback. Well, I know the other important thing you said, Susie, was that it's a hybrid and that you never use the whatever thing you're doing, whether it's using an app or using a new tool or whatever, that's not the goal. The goal is to make art. And good art is good art, no matter how it was made, what tool it was, or what style it is in. You can look at, you know, a herring painting and say, great art. And you can look at a Rembrandt and say, great art. And they're totally different styles, but they are both great art because they speak to the audience. They're beautifully composed. Everything is right about them, in other words. And so, you know, I think that a lot of us who, who are quilters and art quilters, we love to experiment. We love to have the new tool. We love to have the new gadget, etc. And, you know, I am playing with the newer sewing machine right now, which I'm just like over the moon playing with, but it's not making me better at quilting. The only thing that'll make me better at what I do is doing it. Exactly. And practicing it. Practice. Yeah. That is hard. And doing this... Art on the iPad course, particularly, I've noticed, I mean, one reason I do make it very broad is because people are coming in and they have their, they do. Some people have very strong, wonderful visual styles they're already working in, and they're just trying to find the right tool. And so it's like, I keep saying, you know, just pick one or two a week and practice with those because, you know, whatever appeals to you instantly is probably going to be the one that's closest to the tool that meets your needs. But there's people like Alicia Merritt, who was formerly doing a lot of pieced work in her map series and now has completely mm -hmm. switched to digital. She's like altering things and uh, starting with drawings. Yet her color story is very similar. Yes. Her style is very similar. I look at her digital artwork and I say, oh, it's Alicia Merritt. You know, so it's very interesting to see an established artist take a new tool 
and they're just using it in the way they would use any tool. Right. Do you think that this technology is a tool that helps people go faster and get more work done? (laughs) I would love that if it would help me kind of jump a little bit faster. I guess it depends on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Depends on the kind of work you're doing. It probably has helped me go faster in some of the things that I do. But I still work very much in some ways traditionally in my own kind of art quilt process is that I work with the iPad. I find things that I really like. I'm doing some things thematically or within a color story or that I know I want to work with or that fits a series that I've got. I'm one of those people that has six series that will never end and they're always jumping around between one and another. (laughs) But I still basically order the fabric and, you know, look at it before I do anything with it. Very rarely am I doing something that's kind of a whole cloth quilt, although I have a series of these big agaves that they're appliqued on top of a whole quilt image. So I can't say one way or the other, but I basically order the fabric and let it stew there just like any other fabric I would have in my studio. So I don't think it makes me faster. (laughs) So if we are thinking about the whole concept of digital fabric design or digital surface design as like a separate silo. So if I've got that one on the left and my silo on the right is the surface design that most of us were taught in the beginning, whether it's dyeing, printing, thermofax, painting, stamping, yeah, everything. So if we've got those two separate silos, how do we bridge? How do we find the connection between those two very separate in some ways, but yet very similar results that you might get. Well, one way is very literal, is you take a picture of that surface designed fabric, and then you make a color story variation of it. You know, you play with it maybe just with color changing apps or with apps that add a little textural difference so that that digital effect is on top of your surface design fabric. And then you can print it as yards. Just think, you don't have to make 12 yards of something if you want to cover a sofa. (laughs) You now can just make one yard and have it digitally reproduced and do, you know. (laughs) You know, I do think that is something that Jane Donawalt has done, isn't it? That that's one of the things that she does is that she duplicates her surface design, her actual surface design. And, you know, this is something, uh, you know, Susan, you weren't at Quilting Arts TV for the 2700 taping, but this is one of the things that I talked to one of the surface designers about, Melissa Delicio. She was making this beautiful marbled fabric. And I'm like, you know, I have a hard time cutting into my marbled fabric. So what I do is I photocopy it. And then I do a paper collage and paper cutout first to make sure that I'm cutting in the right spot because it's so precious. I don't want to waste it. And handmade surface design is always going to have a real magic that a digitally printed piece of fabric never will, which is one reason I sometimes go in and I'll add a Thermofax screen on top of something or I'll add foil or I use a lot of hand stitch to embellish because the digital fabrics tend to be very flat, literally flat. Right. They need texture. They need some more texture to them. So either you have to add it with the quilting or with another surface design tool. And some people it's just, you know, they do this beautiful, intricate quilting like uh, Betty Hahn doing these paintings. Mm -hmm. Oh, her work is fabulous. But if you look at the way she's quilting them, it's like she's doing this wonderful, intricate, kind of just adding a whole dimension with the way she quilts them. So, But that is one way, is just literally taking a surface design piece of fabric 
and reproducing it. The other thing is to take a quilt you've finished or a painting and do reproductions of that that have been altered. So I've done a number of pieces where I've actually taken a piece of a drawing that I've done and I've reproduced it. So again, it's like finding that tool that reinforces the way to do what you want. And it sure makes it easier to cut up something if you have you know, a copy of it. It does, doesn't it? It's sort of like why we, why we might duplicate a photo before we start altering a photo. <laughs> so we have the original to go back to if we need to. And with some of the companies that will print on fabric for you too, you can use a different substrate. So you might get a totally different look if you print it on silk or on canvas. Or metal. So that's fun too, I think, to be able to experiment with that. You can have it printed on metal or clear acetate or I mean there more and more companies are offering all these different substrates that aren't even just necessarily fabric so if you're going to push the envelope with what is a quilt it's an interesting way to start well that's very intriguing to me I just went to a really cool exhibition at the North Carolina Botanical Garden that was art pieces sculpture in the garden and I kept thinking oh my gosh I need to get into sculpture because I'd like to create something for my garden and how can I do that because textiles would just rot outside so prayer Flags. You're saying I could get, <laughs> I could do prayer flags. I could do that, but I want a, I want a form. I want a shape, and I want it to be pretty big. Scarecrow. I could get something <laughs> printed on metal and mm-hmm. put in my garden. You can have printed on a thin sheet of aluminum, Ooh. and they're pretty durable. Especially if you decided, well, I could then also go in and put a piece of plexi on top of it. Then it would be very durable. Can you pierce it? Can you stitch through it? Uh, it's not that thin. Okay. You would have to use a drill. <laughs> well, so you can pierce with the drill if you wanted to. Or curve it. I want to curve it. I want to bend it into a shape. I think you could probably bend it because I've ordered it before. They've been on a basically kind of a frame background. And uh, I've done a few metal prints because they look pretty sharp. Yeah, maybe a collaboration with a welder or a sculptor. Yeah, because then have them do interesting cutting. And, and you know, I, I, I suspect there's more and more things out there. There's also companies that will do custom laser cutting for you. Mm. So you could design the pieces, print the pieces, and then assemble it. That's something I was going to mention. You know, we're talking about digital art design, but you can also use digital products in so many different ways. They're digital cutters. You know, and I think about Betty Busby's work that she has done using a digital cutter that is, you know, it's outstanding. Mm -hmm. It's just outstanding. And it's the artist behind the tool. It's not the tool. It's the artist using the tool that makes that difference. She knew that she wanted that intricacy, that laziness, and she found the tool that would help her do that efficiently and quickly and get the crisp edges she wanted. Exactly. Exactly. Very, very interesting. It's a big tool. (laughs) So Susie, if you were to give our listeners maybe two takeaways from this conversation, what would they be? Can you give me at least two apps that maybe someone who is Mm. just really starting to explore their iPad for digital design, what they should look at? Two apps that I think are absolutely fascinating and will at least give you kind of a doorway into it. One's called Mega Photo, and I think there's a free version. And if you want to see all the options, you pay $2.99, I think. It's a very inexpensive app. Mega Photo will 
take you through hundreds of variations, both still images and moving images, which is pretty amazing. Really? Okay. So you can actually start adding things to, you know, there's a lot of video effects that if you're making your own promotional materials or things, that's another strand. But I think Megaphoto is a really good one. And oh, there's so many, you know, if you really want something that's kind of one shot, click it on there and I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but there's one called Drawing Pad that's actually designed for kids and it's really fun. It's a little more expensive. I think it's like $5.99 now because it's been very popular, but it's the beginning kind of way of how do I sketch and draw and use a photograph to sketch over it. And it gets people's feet wet without all the layers of Photoshop and Procreate and sketches, which are much more sophisticated tools. But if you can't quite do the first one, <laughs> the first step, it gets hard to get into the later steps. So you're really mentioning things that are easy, totally accessible, that you can just play with. And, you know, let's face it, as kids, I don't know about you two, but I loved coloring in a coloring book when I was a child and just having a nice pen and having a new box of crayons was just like such a gift at Christmas time to play with in a color book. And it's the same kind of thing. You can just play. And I loved on the class that you suggested children's apps because it's so much less intimidating when you think if a kid can do this, I definitely can <laughs> You know, I'm an artist. I can play with this. And the other part that I love is something that Lyric Kennard says all the time. She's like, make bad art, make a lot of it. And mm -hmm. then eventually you'll make good art too. But if you just take away that expectation that everything you're going to make is going to need to be printed on fabric and need to be shared with the world, it really isn't. And you know, you can have a lot of fun. Yes. I have 28,000 photos, so there's no way of printing all of them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite there yet. Susan, how about you? <laughs> no. Well, maybe. I could be. I could be there. If you count all the soccer pictures oh, of yeah. Julia. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that includes that stuff too. But <laughs> Well, I, I have one question too, and I think this might help our, our listeners. And that is, tell me like three or four things that if you were trying to convince somebody to try this, to try digital art, why do it? Try to convince me. Well, first of all, it's a tool that is truly going to be taking over all of our lives. I think more and more you see painters like David Hockney who are painting on their iPad and then having it printed at six feet wide. It's a technology that's not going away. It's just going to get more and more sophisticated. The apps on the iPads are now AI apps. Basically, you can take something where you can take the style of one photo and apply it to another photo or the color of one photo and apply it to another as in that app color thief. So it's like, you really need to know these tools to be part of this world because I think it's here to stay. You know, I'll never use a sewing machine. Well, okay. But there's a lot of people who are going to be using sewing machines. <laughs> and let me think, what's another argument? I think the main thing I do tell people is I know if you're resisting this, do think about how tools have changed your own work, the rotary cutter, mm. the machine, you know, being able to use an acrylic paint rather than a dye. All of these are advances in technology that give us just new tools as artists. Well, I'm so thankful that we have so many different tools, that we have so many wonderful teachers that can introduce them to us in ways that make it accessible. And that if I have to look at a silver lining in this pandemic is that I've had a few more hours a week <laughs> that I can spend in my studio 
working and exploring and experimenting. I can't say that I always do, but it's been such a gift to be able to explore and to to get uncomfortable with a lot of different new techniques. So I have to say thank you so much, Susie, for coming and talking to us about it. And also thank you, Susan, for sort of making me look at my art a little bit differently this year and putting out challenges to me like, let's take this class together. (laughs) Well, I really think it's important to be a lifelong learner. Life would be so boring if we didn't learn new things and try new things. This is another thing to kind of jump into and see what it's all about. Well, my feet are wet now. And so as my interest is being peaked, and I'm just really curious to see where I'm going to go. I've only chosen six or seven photos that I'm going to try to focus on during the whole class. So I might share a few. I might not share anything because nothing's very good yet. But it's really just all about having fun and learning something new. So very, very interesting conversation. Thanks for being with us today, Susie. Thank you. And I hope to uh, see more of your work. Even if you don't share it with the group, you could send me an example. (laughs) I definitely will. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much, Susie. Okay. Thank you. Boy, Susie is a fascinating artist. I just love that she does things, you know, in traditional surface design. She does things in digital surface design. She really explores what's out there. And, you know, so many people I think are intimidated by technology. And I love to see someone just embrace it and say, what can I do? How can I make it work for me? Yeah, she goes in a lot of different directions and explores in a way that a child explores an environment, you know, and that's something that I think a a lot of artists do. Right. And I love also that she acknowledges the other artists who have really influenced her too, people like Jane Dunnewald and Diane Russendoran and Alicia Merritt, et cetera. So, you know, we'll have a list of the people who are mentioned on our show notes, and I'll make sure that I will link into their websites too, because these people have fascinating things to offer. And digital surface design, I think, is really something that is just starting to be accepted. It usually takes about 10 years for a new technique to really come into the mainstream. And I think it's finally coming into the mainstream. And I am so excited to see how people are using it not only as a design tool, but also as a tool for, you know, creating something absolutely new and different. Yes, it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes too, because it seems like I was telling my daughter the other day, Julia was begging for a film camera. And I said, I have a film camera. Apparently that's the rage now with the 20 somethings, the same way they were into the phonograph, you know, the record players. (laughs) Now they're doing, oh, what is this thing that is a roll of film? And she'd taken her camera in to get her film developed because she didn't know how to get it out of her camera. Oh no! (laughs) And she said, the guy at the camera store was really excited about your camera. He said it was really a good one. And I just laughed. And I said, I feel so old because that was, you know, 20 years ago, I was using that camera. So technology rolls on. Technology does. And all I can say is, you know, I know that eventually everything that I'm using in my office today, I'm looking at a special microphone. I've got an iPad next to me. I've got a phone, a computer, all of these things. And they'll be obsolete in like 10 years. But the cool thing is, is that art is never obsolete. Yeah. And, you know, some of the design of those things 
will not be obsolete. Like I had an eight track tape player that I wish I had held on to from my teenage years that was beautifully designed. And now it's on eBay for like $800. Well, there you go. So save everything, guys. Quality counts. It does. You know, good design counts. So yeah. Well, I have a quote here about the digital revolution. And it really is about more about music because it's by Bono, the musician. Love him. But uh, he said, what turns me on about the digital age, what excited me personally, is that you have closed the gap between dreaming and doing. You see, it used to be that if you wanted to make a record of a song, you needed a studio and a producer. Now you need a laptop. Just think what the next century is going to bring, even the next 10 years. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing the conversation with me, Susan. I always look forward to doing this with you. It was super fun as always. And thank you for listening. Remember, there's lots more information about the things we discussed in the episode, including some photos and links in our show notes. Just follow the link in our description to our website, quiltingdaily.com. If you want to hear episodes as soon as they come out, please subscribe. Just search for the Quilting Arts Podcast in whatever app you use, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And when you do, please leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. The Quilting Arts Podcast is a production of Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Vivica Hansen-Denegri, and my friend, Susan Brubaker-Knapp. This episode was recorded and edited by Chad Franzen. Sarah Erickson is our web producer, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.